Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Oh, gee. Make some noise! In this week's episode of Inside Boxing Live, we take a deep look into the Deontay Wilder-Luis Ortiz fight this weekend with Showtime Sports President Steven Espinosa, as well as Lou DiBella, who called into the show with some special words for Eddie Hearn. Rounding out the podcast was an interesting talk with Rafe Bartholomew, funny man, an all-around good guy, plus a new Twitter hitters, and in case you missed it, Inside Boxing Live 12. Here we go. Welcome into another episode of Inside Boxing Live, episode number 12. I'm your host, Dan Canobio. In this episode, we will speak to Showtime Sports President Steven Espinoza, get his thoughts on uh, all things Showtime Boxing, uh, his thoughts on uh, Wilder Ortiz, Mayweather McGregor. Uh, go down the list. We're going to talk to Steven Espinosa about uh, everything there. Uh, Lou DiBella joins the show. Of course, he is the promoter of uh, Deontay Wilder. He will uh, be hyping up Deontay and talking about why this is a very dangerous fight uh, for his fighter fighting Luis Ortiz. And a, another interview on the show is I'm really excited about is Rafe Bartholomew. Rafe is a, was a contributor to Grantland, uh, wrote for ESPN. Uh, now he's out in Los Angeles. He puts together a really, really funny newsletter uh, for boxing. He also uh, co-hosts a podcast uh, with Brian Campbell. We'll talk to Rafe to talk about the funnier side of boxing, the absurdities of of the sport and uh, his time in the Philippines uh, watching Manny Pacquiao fight. Uh, very, very interesting uh, interview uh, with uh, Rafe Bartholomew. Uh, of course, you can download uh, this podcast. Uh, you can watch it here on Pluto TV. You can download it on iTunes and, of course, the OG Podcast Network uh, as well. If you're checking us out on iTunes, don't forget to subscribe. Uh, leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. Uh, makes us feel good. And it also keeps these uh, these lights on here so we can keep on bringing you the show for the fans uh, inside uh, Boxing Live. This past weekend was a very busy one in the sport of boxing. The World Boxing Super Series. Uh, we're going to see our last semifinal was on Saturday when Caleb Smith uh, brought his jab into the ring. And he actually broke a record for uh, most jabs thrown by a super middleweight. Actually destroyed the record. Um, a lot of people kind of saying that he didn't look that good and he should have t- taken out his opponent who was a, who was a late uh, replacement. Uh, so, I don't know. Like, he got the win. He didn't look outstanding, but he also he didn't look terrible. I mean, he had put out a jab. He's a tall, lanky guy. He doesn't have a lot of power. He is what he is. So, Caleb Smith got the victory. He wins. He moves on to face George Groves in the uh, the final of the super middleweight division here while we're boxing a super series. But the thing with Groves, he just announced that he's having shoulder surgery. So he asked if that fight can be moved back to July. Major League supposed to be in June at, uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia. That's where the final is going to be for uh, World Boxing Super Series. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Caleb Smith versus George Groves. Maybe in July. Uh, also, HBO Boxing kicked back up with Superfly 2. Outstanding card from top to bottom. Main event, we saw Sara Visai uh, defeat Juan Francisco Estrada in a very, very entertaining fight. I uh, had a little bit of everything. 
uh, Rungvisai, uh, he kind of brought it in the early rounds. He was landing that left. He was moving well in there. He had a, it seemed like he had Estrada figured out, and that's when Estrada kind of stepped it up, and he started landing some really good counters on uh, Rungvisai, and he had him rocked in the uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th round. That 12th round uh, could potentially be a, a, fight, a round of the year uh, candidate. The fight right now, I would get put it in the top two. Uh, my fight of the year, uh, I think it was, uh, a lot of people said it was like a thriller. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't say it was a thriller, but it was a really good fight. I mean, it was it was outstanding. I mean, it was everything you wanted from these little guys. Uh, Superfly, it wasn't as exciting maybe as Superfly, the original one, but I tell you what, it wasn't. It, it was the better one of the better cards HBO has put on uh, in, in recent uh, time here, so I expect... To see more of these uh, the the smaller guys, the superflies, and I'm expecting to see uh, Rung Visai maybe going up against Anune, or maybe a rematch with Estrada. Because I think a lot of fans were uh, could have saw it going either way. 115, 113 for Rung Visai, 115, 113 for Estrada. You know, either way, outstanding. But this week, we're looking forward now to the boxing schedule. Another doubleheader, two cards in New York City, one on HBO, one on Showtime. Uh, the HBO uh, portion of the night, we'll see uh, Sullivan Barrera going up against Dimitri Bival. Outstanding fight at 175. That's a, like a 50-50 fight. Uh, Bival's going to come in there looking to, to take out Barrera. Barrera's like, you know, your traditional boxer. And then you got uh, Sergey Kovalev looking to keep it going in the main event. But also, this weekend is all about uh, Deontay Wilder, uh, Luis Ortiz. It's at the Barclays Center. Deontay Wilder is in there with a very game opponent in Luis Ortiz. Off the juice. We'll see how much uh, what Luis Ortiz looks like when he's not uh, potentially eating tainted meat or blood pressure, or whatever the excuses that he uses. But Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz at the Barclays Center this Saturday. We're going to talk to Steven Espinosa. He has some uh, interesting thoughts on it. We're going to talk to Lou DiBella, the promoter for Deontay Wilder. You know Lou is going to bring the heat uh, when he talks about uh, Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz, but I have a jam-packed show. We also have a brand-new Twitter hitters we have in case you missed it, plus the three interviews. We're going to talk a lot of boxing on uh, this episode, so stay tuned. All guests on Inside Boxing Live appear via the Jack Doyle's phone line located just one block away from Penn Station and Madison Square Garden. Jack Doyle's is the perfect place to get a drink before or after any big fight or game, and with that, we'll bring in our guest here on Inside Boxing Live. He's the Showtime Sports President recently promoted and uh rightfully so he's steven espinosa joins us right now on inside boxing live steven how you doing man uh i'm phenomenal how are you i'm uh, doing great ready here for another fight week you're a, you're a busy man so i appreciate uh you giving us some time here on inside boxing live happy to do it yeah happy to do it and i know you're even busier uh on a fight week and on uh this saturday we'll see uh deontay wilder uh taking on luis ortiz once and for all um Question I have for you is: What does a fight week entail for uh, Stephen Espinosa, a, a high-level executive? Take us through uh, what you do on a fight week. Uh, it's a good question. Um, you know, this one's a little bit easier since it's uh, in town uh, at Barclays Center, and we've got a great routine uh, down. We've done uh, we've done 17 events at Barclays Center. They've been open just about five and a half years, um, so we've got a great relationship there. So, uh, but there's always little differences between events. Um, you know, Barclays is one of the busiest venues in, uh, you know, all of sports, certainly um, on the East Coast. And so there will be some differences in terms of what 
is in the arena the night before. Um, and what that will affect was how we load in, you know, when we can park the uh, production trucks, when what our schedule looks like for loading in on the day of the event. Uh, but backing up before then, you know, there's the usual uh, press, uh, making sure everybody's on weight. Um, we'll meet with the announcers uh, a couple times, meet with the fighters. You get the storylines straight, uh, get all set up, and, uh, and cross our fingers that what we get on Saturday night is as good as it looks on paper. Yeah, I know. That I, I go in and I set up on, on, a, on a Friday before we go in for our test, and we see that they're setting up for a concert. And it's crazy how quickly they can turn around an arena. I think one of the last times I was there was like a DMX Rough Riders uh, reunion exactly. concert. Yeah, I, I, you know, and so there's a little bit of difference depending on you know, when the, the event the night before gets out of the arena, whether it's a basketball game, whether it's uh, a hockey game or a concert. Um, and sometimes a little bit of a fire drill. Um, preferably, we'd like to be in on Friday morning. Then we can sort of set up uh, with the luxury of some extra time. But if we have to do it all starting at 3 or 4 a.m. on Saturday morning, then obviously we'll get it done. Do you find yourself getting more ticket requests now that you're, now that you're Showtime president, Stephen Espinosa? Uh, you know what? It, uh, it's funny. That's one of the easy ways to uh, gauge interest uh, in a fight, whether you've got uh, a hot event or not. And with this one in particular, with Wilder Ortiz, uh, I started getting, you know, uh, a, a big increase in, in ticket requests uh, last week, which is a, is a great sign. Um, when you start getting ticket requests two weeks before, um, we've got some, you know, big celebrities and they're calling, um, you know, not last minute. That's a sign that you've got some anticipation built up, built up in the market. Yeah, I mean, this is a big one. I'm reading on Boxing Scene, all the websites. You know, this is the biggest U.S. heavyweight fight maybe of all time. It's the biggest one since maybe Klitschko Lewis. But, you know, Deontay Wilder is a guy that you guys are heavily invested in, and, and uh, rightfully so. Um, he's found himself in the press a lot. And there's also what comes along with success. There's also criticism here with Deontay Wilder. Why do you think that he hasn't gotten, like, the full respect or maybe the full following from uh, the U.S. fans? Do you think maybe he oversells himself a little bit on social media? Um, I, you know, I think the, the difficulty has been um, it hasn't been the strongest heavyweight division, at, at least from the U.S. perspective. Um, you know, if we go back, you know, 30 years, there's a, there's a lot of reasons historically, but, but really um, it was the rise of the other professional sports leagues and the expansion of those leagues and, and the revenue opportunities, the income opportunities in those leagues that took our, you know, our big uh, star athletes um, away from boxing and into basketball and football uh, primarily. Um, in, you know, the 1970s or maybe even the 80s, a, a guy like Michael Strahan probably would have been heavyweight champion of the world. His dad was a boxer. He loves boxing. Um, he wouldn't have been an NFL defensive lineman. He would have been heavyweight champion of the world. So you fast forward and uh, you, know, you look at, at who Deontay has had to fight on the way up. There's certainly, uh, to be candid, hasn't been murderer's row, you know, his first 25, 30 fights. Uh, but you can only fight the guys that are there. It's sort of a, a you know, it's a, it's, a tough, uh, it's a tough situation right. for him. Uh, but I think it, where I've been a little bit puzzled is he certainly has made the effort and respond, try to respond to the criticism, you know, scheduling the Pavetkin fight, 
uh, scheduling the Stavern fight originally. You know, the title fight originally, Stavern was the guy who was supposed to expose him as not as not a good boxer. And, you know, and clearly he didn't in the first fight, much less the second fight. Um, he, you know, he's still a little bit in search of that career-defining fight. The Povetkin fight didn't happen. Ortiz fight has been postponed. But I, I do think that he has reached a different level of awareness. He's starting to break through. And, of course, the Wilder-Joshua fight is, with, with due respect to all the other fights, is probably, I, I think, the, the, the biggest fight that can be made in the sport today. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, you can't ask about uh, Deontay Wilder without bringing up Anthony Joshua. I think it's in, like, every um, interviewer's contract. You have to bring up Anthony yeah. Joshua, you got to bring up Deontay Wilder. <laughs> right, exactly, yep. And, you know, and go ahead. You know, the, the thing with Anthony is we, we've, we've never seen an athlete like him. Uh, you know, fast-forwarding on to the end of March, on March 31, he'll be back at the Cardiff Arena, which holds about 77,000, 78,000. So uh, that's expected to be a sellout. So including that fight and his last two fights, he will have sold nearly 250,000 tickets in, you know, in three events, that's that's unprecedented. You go back in history, and uh, I, I don't think um, I don't think you can find another fighter who's done that in three consecutive fights. Right. So, yeah. Okay. He, yeah, he still hasn't you know launched in the U.S. Uh, and there's still work to be done there, but he is a phenomenon unlike any we've seen before in the sport. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you got a, yourself a little bit of a final four here in the heavyweight division, Showtime kind of owns the heavyweight division right now. March, we'll see, uh, obviously this week, we'll see Wilder in Ortiz. And then March 31st, like you brought up, we'll see Joshua and Parker. Um, how how much your involvement, what's your involvement in, in making a, a Joshua and a Wilder? Or do you feel like we're any closer to possibly seeing that should both of these guys come through with uh, victories? Uh, you know, I have conversation with both teams, obviously, uh, in, in business, and, and it, it's, it's sort of an unav unavoidable uh, fight. This is not going to be a Mayweather-Pacquiao situation where it's just the, the gap cannot be bridged and, and fans are left frustrated. Um, that doesn't mean I, I know that it's going to happen the next fight after March, but I do think you know within the next two, three fights, uh, I, I do see it happening, um, partially because they're both running short on top tier opponents um between the two of them you know they're running through the the top 10 of of the consensus rankings so if everything stays on track i don't see us uh having to wait much longer than you know early to mid 2019 at, at worst case i hope that's the case i mean that's the fights that's the fight every fan wants to see and uh you know, what do you think of Eddie Hearn coming out and saying that he say he maybe wants to have Joshua fight in August at the Barclays Center against maybe Jarrell Miller? I, I think you know a lunch on on the East Coast in New York City is uh, is phenomenal. Uh, I think it's the exact right move. Um, it's it's an easy fight from uh, from the UK, five hours from London, and there's not a bigger media market. Um, and I, I think it, it's time you know to start building the profile here. You know, the difficult thing, the challenging thing is uh, there are huge revenue opportunities uh, in the U.K. and other places for Joshua. So coming here in, in, in 
in essence, almost starting over from scratch will be a financial sacrifice for him. Um, but we've had the discussion. You know, at some point he's going to do it, and he sees the big picture down the line. But I think you know, New York City, Brooklyn, the Barclays Center, uh, that's, that's the exact right move. And having a, a Brooklyn-based opponent uh, just adds to that as well. Another division that uh, Showtime has a deep investment in is the welterweight uh, division. And I'm sure uh, you are trying to figure out ways to make all these fights happen. You're a very creative guy. You've shown that uh, over the course of your career, especially at Showtime. Uh, we see some clarity here. I know it seems like we have a little bit of a logjam. You know, you got Keith Thurman sitting up top with two of the belts. You got Errol Spence, who many regard as the best fighter of the, of the four, of the four top guys. Then you got Danny Garcia, who we just saw last week. Uh, Sean Porter hopped in the ring, got in his face, something unlike we've seen from Sean Porter. So it's pretty clear that, you know, we have four guys that all want to fight each other and four guys that the fans want to see fight. How do you kind of see this this picture kind of clearing up? Well, the unknown factor is Keith Thurman's injury. And I think the hesitation that you see in in Keith Thurman sometimes is because of the uncertainty on the injury and knowing it was a major injury. Um, it's not just a, a matter of ring rust. Um, from my perspective, I think it's a matter of making sure all of the, the pieces, all the parts are, are still working as they should. And, you know, you, you don't want to figure out that you've still got some elbow soreness, um, you know, during the second round of an Errol Spence fight. So I think that that's really the, the unknown factor, the, um, the uh, uncertainty that goes along with that because but for that i think you see pretty quickly a unification fight you know certainly before the end of the year between keith and arrow and uh, you know you then you've got guys lining up you know wanting to take their uh, their their shot at the winner so it, it's something that we've been working on for several years you know getting these guys to a point where we could round robin them and actually end up with possibly uh, an undisputed champion. And I think we're getting closer to closer to that, you know, and maybe even in the welterweight, uh, excuse me, the heavyweight division too. Yeah, welterweight division, heavyweight division certainly uh, is is owned by by Showtime at the current moment. Another thing was the the Showtime up front. Uh, I was at the event. It was a pretty cool event. It made me very proud uh, to be in the boxing business, I'm happy you guys put that on. It was I know it took a lot of work from you and your crew. You know, 20 fighters getting them all in one location <laughs> is oh, is a hard thing to do. They look. Like, I heard they had yeah. a rehearsal too. So I mean, you, it was a full investment here. So I want to talk a little about the upfront and from a, a uh, your standpoint. Is this something that was your idea, and why do you think that it was completely necessary to put on? Well, it, it was. Uh, it came out of discussions between uh, between me and Al Heyman, and, um, you know, it, it sort of developed, took took on a, a life of its own. It, it, once we, we figured out uh, that the format would be sort of like an, an upfront, that's the, the best way to, to uh, analogize it. Um, it you know, uh, it was, there were multiple goals on this, multiple objectives. Uh, part of it was to, you know, candidly to show off um, the depth of talent that we have. Um, you don't really get a sense of how much good young talent we have fighting on Showtime um, until you see them all in one place at one time on, on the stage and you see a bunch of good-looking, articulate, you know, and most importantly, great fighters. 
And I think it was important for Showtime. It's important for the sport as, uh, as a whole uh, because, you know, seeing those guys all together, again, there are, boxing is always subject to this persistent boxing is dead. And uh, to some extent, that's been part of the UFC's initial marketing plan. But something like this where you see all the guys together, uh, you see them cooperating, you see the sport being presented in organized light, you see a six-month schedule. Um, it reminds us that the sport isn't going anywhere. It's healthy. It's got a great crop of young talent, and there's uh, there's a lot to be excited about in the sport of boxing today. Yeah, I mean, it was a great event, and you're right. You put that six months up there, you give the fans something to look forward to. You know, it keeps the, the fans happy, and it shows the health of the sport. Also on that uh, red carpet, I was actually right next to the Barstool guys, and I saw that they got uh, some interviews with you. They got some sound bites of you. First of all, I think you interviews did a great job. Quotes, right? Interviews and quotes, we'll call them. Yeah, I don't know if they were exactly hard-hitting interviews. Like, I don't know if you right. wanted to discuss Bitcoin with uh, that dude. <laughs> but uh, last week, we had uh, Dave Portnoy on the show, so I think we're going to have to uh -huh. like introduce like, like a president segment here on Inside Boxing Live. We had That's Portnoy. Right. Dave is a boxing fan, for sure. Huge boxing fan. He was. I was very surprised yep. by the the amount he knew. Did you catch any of the the rough and rowdy? Uh, I, I did. It was. Um, you know, it's something they're very excited about, um, and it's obviously a, a different type of competition than what we're doing here. Different uh, level of sport, but <laughs> you know, the the emotion and the drama. I, you know, is is almost equivalent. It's um, it's a, it's a fascinating thing that they've stumbled upon, yeah. and it. Uh, it really is pretty entertaining. A um, little rough around the edges, but that's by design. Right. You know, this is this is this is sort of the grassroots at its most grassroots. Emphasis on grassroots because there were a couple guys. Yeah, there were guys right. wearing work boots, Stephen. <laughs> you're you're right. You're right. But it, it you know if it uh, you never know where um, there were the seeds of sort of fandom in, in combat sports come from if it. You know, expands the sport. You know, gets people talking about combat sports generally. I think it's a, it's a great thing. Exactly. I thought it was a, a great idea, and if, if it brings younger eyeballs to the sport, and I know you illustrated that when you're up on stage at the upfront, it's all good. I and mean, we actually mm -hmm. ran the stats for the main event. <laughs> we we ran mm -hmm. the stats for the chef versus Smitty. They were only three punches away in uh, connects. And then we, uh, Portnoy retweeted it. So you know what? It's it's a fun thing, and it, it brings more eyeballs to the sport. Yeah, it's uh, it, it certainly you know they've had a, a good amount of uh, of success with it, um, and uh, it's it's a very viable business for them, and uh, it, it it fits well. So and it's uh, it's enjoyable. It's it's probably one of my guilty pleasures. <laughs> Likewise. Well, before we let you go, I want to ask you quickly about the the Showtime when it comes to the streaming. I know you guys have put more of an emphasis on streaming fights, undercard fights, maybe putting. Uh, uh, weigh-ins online is that something we're going to be seeing more in 2018 uh absolutely um i you know we've we started with uh with the showtime extreme um you know and and that was one way of sort of expanding the content that we made available uh, but the, with the advancements in technology um it's it's almost easier quicker and in some ways probably a, a, a better uh uh you know a better objective is is to do the streaming. Um, that way you open it up to non-subscribers. Uh, it promotes the event itself. Um, and from a cost perspective, it has become uh, very inexpensive, as you guys know, and something that uh, can be done you know, pretty quickly without, without a whole lot of advanced planning. So 
probably a lot more streaming in, in 2018 and, and 19 and beyond. Uh, not just the, the sort of the ancillary events like the Wayans and press conferences, but probably streaming um, a lot more international fights. You know, some of the stuff which uh, sometimes you may not work in terms of the timing for to put on Showtime. Um, I think there's still value for the brand in making it available in the U.S. attached to the Showtime digital platform. That's the one thing I love about Showtime is you guys think outside the box. You know, you're streaming fights. You're doing a lot of great things. The Showtime up front, it, I think it puts boxing on notice. And I appreciate you uh, joining us here on Inside Boxing Live. And we'll see you Saturday ringside. Uh, happy to do it. We'll see you Saturday. All right. Thanks a lot, Stephen. All right. You got it. There he is, Stephen Espinoza, president of Showtime Sports, uh, kind enough to join us here on Inside Boxing Live on a very busy fight week for him with uh, uh, you know Wilder and Ortiz finally stepping in the ring. Has some interesting things to say about a Deontay Wilder. And, uh, you know, a good point was that, you know, maybe he isn't as popular today because they're just, you know, the stars usually play basketball. They play football, and there isn't, you know, an awareness for the heavyweight division. It's not Deontay Wilder's fault because one thing we know about Deontay Wilder, he comes on this show – He's a great interview. He makes himself very much available to any media, social media, any show. And maybe that's starting to bite him in the, in the butt a little bit because he's maybe starting to say things that are a little outside the box. Like, you know, he could beat uh, a Mike Tyson. You know, he's already eclipsed Muhammad Ali. You know, it's good to have the self-confidence. But be interesting to see if he wins on Saturday night, uh, what it does, and if it beats the drum uh, for a fight with uh, with Anthony Joshua. But it was good to have Steven Espinosa on the show. They want to do more digital streaming stuff. Um, you know, the Showtime up front showed us that, you know, Showtime isn't going away. I mean, they're they're heavily invested in the sport of boxing. They wanted to show everyone what they have. They wanted to, it was almost like, you know, this is what we, this is our product. You know, these are our fighters. You know, this is, we're very proud of it. And I was proud to be in, in the building uh, uh, that day. I had so many more questions uh, for Stephen, we know he's very busy. You know, you know, he only had a short amount of time. But we're very thankful uh, that he came on the show. So uh, thankful for everyone at Showtime for setting this up. And uh, we're going to move forward with uh, Inside Boxing Live. All right, it's that time of the show when we catch you up to speed on everything that's going on in this wild sport of boxing. Uh, a lot going on. So uh, here we go. With in case you missed it. I don't know if you haven't had time to miss this one because it just came out uh, today, but George Groves announces he's going to have minor surgery on his shoulder that he injured in his uh, last bout, the World Boxing Super Series. So it looks like a fight, the final fight in the super middleweight division with Callum Smith will be postponed. Uh, he put out a statement on, on Twitter, uh, George Groves, saying that you know he had the minor surgery. He asked uh, uh, the officials at the World Boxing Super Series if they can push it back from June uh, to July. I don't see that being that much of a problem, but, uh, you know, George Groves, minor surgery. Uh, we saw Callum Smith in the ring uh, on, uh, on Saturday. He out-jabbed. He just jabbed to death this, uh, this Dutch guy uh, who put up a very good fight, uh, the, the Dutch dude. But uh, maybe we'll see George Groves um, and Callum Smith in July. In, uh, instead of uh, June in the World Boxing Super Series. Uh, moving forward here, in case you missed it, Andy Lee announced his retirement. Of course, Andy Lee, the, uh, the, the pride of Ireland, the middleweight uh, contender. He was once a champion, uh, put on many good fights in a, a crowd-pleasing style. You know, I was ringside for one of his uh, the best wins of his career when he connected on that, that short left hand that he made uh, 
just so famous over the years. Uh, and, you know, a lot of fighters were checking in on Twitter, wishing him well and, uh, you know, giving him congratulations. So it was pretty clear that he was loved by the fans and he was also loved uh, by uh, his peers in the boxing world. And the thing about Andy Lee is he is one of the, the last fighters trained by the great Emmanuel Stewart, of course, at a, at a Kronk gym. I think it was Steve Kim who, who tweeted something that Andy Lee loved Manny Stewart so much uh, that he was, you know, almost, he was on his, you know, when he was sick and Emmanuel Stewart in his last days, you know, Andy Lee was there, uh, you know, at his bedside to the point where, you know, where Emmanuel Stewart had to tell him, you know, you can go, you can leave, you know, you can go train, you know, move on without me. So Andy Lee, all around great guy. Uh, congratulations on a, a wonderful career and whatever you should do next. Uh, moving forward here, in case you missed it, we'll stay in the middleweight division. Danny Jacobs, looks like he has an opponent. He's going up against Selecki. Uh, that will be April 28th at the Barclays Center, a, uh, a doubleheader. Uh, Jarrell Miller will be fighting as well in the heavyweight division. We saw these two guys headline a card uh, back in the fall on Long Island. This one is back in Brooklyn where it belongs, where Danny Jacobs should always be fighting. He's got a strong base there in Brooklyn. So we'll see Jacobs back in the ring. Uh, Sulecki is, is not a pushover. Sulecki is a guy moving up from 154. Uh, if you read about Selecki, you'll see that he is a, a top 10 talent. He's probably going to put on a better fight than uh, Arias did, and it's not going to take much to do that. But uh, we can see Danny Jacobs here as he kind of tries to uh, to figure out his way here as uh, Canelo and Triple G are, are top of the uh, middleweight division with uh, BJ Saunders maybe one step above Danny Jacobs. So Danny Jacobs has to just keep you know taking these fights. He has to keep winning. And hopefully he gets that, that big payday once again. Maybe it should be a Canelo or BJ Saunders or even a rematch uh, with Triple G. So April 28th, we'll see more action from the Barclays Center. That fight will be on uh, HBO. And speaking of Danny Jacobs, his promoter, Eddie Hearn, had some interesting things to say at their press conference when it came to his heavyweight, Anthony Joshua, who will, of course, be facing Joseph Parker March 31st in the unification bout. He says that if Joshua should get past Parker... And Miller should get past his opponent. Maybe we can see uh, Miller versus Joshua at the Barclays Center sometime in August. That's a very interesting fight uh, for a, a number of reasons. Number one, it will be Anthony Joshua's first fight on uh, U.S. soil. It will be in New York City, a great place to up his profile. Uh, we just talked with Steven Espinosa, the president of uh, Showtime Sports, and he's all for it. You know, he thinks that Anthony Joshua coming to, to the U.S. and most notably New York or Vegas is inevitable. I mean, he sells out arenas in in the U.K. He's maybe like on a level of LeBron James here in the U.S., so maybe he might lose a little money, but he'll gain that back in, uh, in profile and marketing. So we could see uh, Anthony Joshua going up against Jarrell Miller sometime in late August at the Barclays Center. Will it be on Showtime? Will be on HBO. Uh, remains to be seen, so you have to keep it locked here in Inside Box Line to get an answer for that. It's moving forward here. Speaking of Brooklyn, the home of Brooklyn, Jay Z. Uh, I'm very upset with Jay Z. And I'm grew up a huge Jay Z fan. Loved all his 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 work, but you know this whole Daniel Franco thing is really putting a sour taste in my mouth uh, when it comes to Jay Z. You saw this. He spent over a hundred thousand dollars on a night out recently. You know, he posted the, the, someone posted the receipt, you know, coincidence, I think not. I think, you know, he bought maybe 15 bottles of Ace of Spades, which uh, coincidentally he owns Ace of Spades. So maybe it was a little promotion on his point. But, you know, he can spend $100,000 on a night out like it's nothing. But he can't help out Daniel Franco, a fighter that fought under the Rock Nation or the Rock Sports banner, 
who is uh, suffering from a, a traumatic brain injury, who's raising money left and trying to raise money left and right. So uh, I know a lot of people on Twitter uh, kind of tweeted that about how they're they're upset with that. But, you know, these tweets aren't going to be enough. We've got to see some action here. Of course, you can always go to the GoFundMe page uh, for Daniel Franco and donate as we have here on Insight Boxing Live. And we ask you to do the same. We love the sport of boxing. We have to support those fighters uh, that are in need. Finally here. Well, that's it, Nick. I think that's it. We were going to put the George Groves one last, but we moved the George Groves one up. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's all you have here for uh, in case you missed it. If you have any more news and notes you want to feature here on the show, you can always tweet us at CompuBox using the hashtag I-C-Y-M-I. Uh, moving forward here with Inside Boxing Live. All guests on Inside Boxing Live appear via the Jack Doyle's phone line. Jack Doyle is located just one block away from Penn Station and Madison Square Garden, the perfect place to catch a uh, big game or big fight. Uh, Jack Doyle's, check him out at uh, jackdoylesnyc.com. With that, we're going to bring in uh, a guest here on Inside Boxing Live that I'm very excited to talk to. He's Rafe Bartholomew. He's an author, journalist, co-host, uh, newsletter extraordinaire. Uh, am I leaving anything off, Rafe? No, that, that that probably does it. That's that's more than enough, probably. You had a very you have a very interesting background. Um, you caught my attention years ago, but mostly with this this newsletter that you put out, the Respect Box newsletter. And if you are not uh, subscribed to this newsletter, you have to you have to do it. Uh, you put it out weekly, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Like, when did you come up with the concept and the, the process and uh, everything that goes through uh, making such a, a popular newsletter? Absolutely. Well, you know, it was the kind of thing where, you know, I'd written about boxing before, you know, when I was working for Grantland at ESPN, I, I did most of their boxing writing. And, and really, that's how I really sort of became deeply involved in the sport, you know, as more than just kind of like growing up watching it. Uh, and I missed it, you know, and, and it can be hard, you know, when when I wasn't the editor assigning stories to myself to get outlets online uh, outside of like the, the, the boxing specific places to assign boxing stories and and i just reached a point where i was like screw it i don't need to I, why bother uh begging you know slate or deadspin I, I have a lot of respect for all these websites they're good um but but they just don't have the interest in the sport that, that at least to me that, that that i think is necessary uh so i said you know make a make a make one of these newsletters and, and put it on twitter and hope a few you know a few people will subscribe and I, I like the newsletter more than say just posting it on a blog somewhere because you i can be a little more informal it's a, even though you know even though it's op it's public and free um, and you can find it online if you look for it. You can be a little more risque. You can joke around a little more. You can, oh, sorry. You can uh, you can just sort of be a little more yourself and 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 you know talk like a fan and not worry about offending people quite as much as you would in a regular published story. Right, and and there's a lot of offensive material out there when it comes to boxers. There's an endless like trove of material. Like when do you start like you know scouring over the weak stuff? Like do you go? Do you have like I'm sure you have your list of websites, like the boxing scenes with their ridiculous headlines, and <laughs> and uh, just going down the list. Like like how do you cultivate all the information? 
you know, it's just every basically every morning. The first first part of my day is I I, I go visit the you know boxing scene, Reddit, Bad Left Hook, the blogs, and you know the Ring. All you know, I shouldn't you know I feel bad naming them because it's some over others because I'm really looking at all of them. Right. Uh, and I just whatever whatever jumps out, you know, whatever whatever seems interesting or funny or weird, you know, there's so much. Uh, like you said, the, the sport gives us so much in terms of things to react to in, in you know, whether it's with jokes or, or sort of more serious uh, analysis or ideas uh, that, that, you know, I, I, every day I just, I just pick out the links that I like. I, I keep a little file that I sort of refresh uh, week after week. And then Thursday or Friday morning, I write it up and, and hit send on the newsletter and it goes out there. Now I know that there's, there's obviously there's a lot of material out there. And the reason I like you, I'm drawn to your to your style here is because you like to find the comedy and everything. I like to find the comedy and everything, especially with boxing, because it's like one of the more hilarious sports. Which fighter do you think over the years has given us the best material? Oh my God, it's <laughs> tough question. That, there's really no way to come up with a single winner of this. Um, I think you know, and I, the, the, this moment has passed. But um, but you know, early Gennady Golovkin uh, when he was, you know, when he was dropping the good boys and yeah. the Iris. I mean, that's the name of the that's the name of the newsletter. So it was, comes from his you know quote to uh, to Max Kellerman after the fight uh, when he's Max. I respect box. You know, I mean, like <laughs> Max, that. Max. That yeah, Max. Are you serious? Uh, so like the early Golovkin train, those first couple years when he would look, you know, he, of course he he still is an amazing fighter uh but you know there's this new thing on the scene and he'd sort of ramble through these crazy interviews that kind of half made sense and they had these yeah. weird translations from russians who's calling guys good boy uh it was uh that that was probably one of the the all-time sort of runs for me in terms of boxing comedy but there's also you know there you get it comes in different forms right i mean you got the sort of boxing scene headlines and and the the, the sort of delusional uh, like proclamations coming out of Australia and the Jeff Horn camp where yeah. every every day on boxing scene there's another like you know Horn's trainer colon you know Crawford has nothing for him or, Horn yeah. is number one pound yeah. for pound you're just like what are, what are you guys talking about so Horn can I, beat I, a horse right right uh, it's like the so there's just so much out there and it comes in so many different ways and it, it like keeps surprising you that's sort of why one of the things aside from the actual stuff that happens in the ring that we love, uh, the, just you know, following it, it, it the, the day by day absurdity of the sport is a, is a right. sort of uh, joy in its own. Right, we love boxing. Like when the fights are on, we love watching a good fight. But it's it's a it's a sport that comes on like a weekly basis. So like Monday to Friday, we have to entertain ourselves. Absolutely, uh, and 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 that that's the other reason I started doing it. You know, I I realized I sit around entertaining myself by reading weird boxing news. Why not? You know, and and sort of doing like group chats and emails with friends about you know, did you see this? Did you see this? So you know, why not turn that into a newsletter? What about when uh, Gennady Golovkin going back to him when it was like a lower third of like favorite food and he just said meat. <laughs> That was one of the best moments of that Monaco fight. It was on the independent pay-per-view. Yes, the, the, the paper. I was one of. I, I, I mean, I'm sure there were others, but I, I, I'm proud to say I was one of the uh, the early people to uh, to take that photo and tweet wow. it that, that day. Uh, You're a pioneer. Still out there. Yeah. I, well, I, I, I was. You know, Golovkin. Uh, for what I was lucky enough that I was, uh, I, you know, I was back home. I'm from New York. I was living, you know, I was living in the city back when he fought his first HBO fight in 2012. 
and uh, was one of the handful of people who drove up to Turning Stone to watch that fight. Uh, and man, I mean, it was like, you know, he really, he sort of, he, he just sort of took your breath away the right. first time he saw him. Right, agreed. I've, I've went to a lot of his early fights in, in New York. I've, you know, I heard the hype about him coming from overseas. And I think my first fight I saw of his was against Rosado. We gave yep. Rosado, and he was like, just bludgeoned him. There was I never saw him that much blood all over his pants. And oh. then after the fight, he says that you know I had the flu. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that 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 was one of the. I mean that the of all the of uh, you know I think that was the last time they they ever allowed. Uh, and I love Steve Smoger, but it's probably the last time they they ever allowed uh, Smoger to referee a Golovkin fight because it's just just a recipe for a very dangerous situation. Oh my God, yeah, uh, smokes. Know, Steve let them fight. Now, you say you grew up in New York, and uh, in addition to uh, being an outstanding boxing writer, you're also an author, and you wrote a outstanding book about uh, your time spent at the uh, legendary McSorley's Alehouse, where your dad was a bartender, and you kind of worked there. And uh, talk a little bit about McSorley's and growing up in New York. Did that kind of like get the juices flowing for boxing? Because, you know, boxing's an historic sport, and I'm sure there had to be something intertwined there. Absolutely, because, you know, I mean, I did. So my father has been a, a career bartender at McSorley since 1972. And uh, he's actually still working. He works two nights a week, uh, Sundays and Mondays, um, uh, just part time filling in. But, uh, you know, so, so uh, you know, he had his career there and brought me into the bar all the time as a kid. And, yeah, I mean, because it's such an old bar. Uh, and because it's it, it has you know even though I mean it's such a tourist place it, it doesn't feel as Irish as you know some bars you might see in like I like like Sunnyside and Queens and like really really Irish neighborhoods um, uh, it still has you know I mean the, the guys who work there are Irish the, and, and there's the, you know the boxing uh, history inside the bar is pretty strong there's there's a signed, you know, signed poster of Jack Dempsey. Um, there's, you know, pictures of times that Jerry Cooney was in the bar. Um, there's so, so you just sort of grow up around, surrounded by some of that, as well as seeing, you know, seeing guys. I mean, you, you had Lou DiBella on the show today, and Lou used to come, actually the first fights I saw live were time were from times Lou came in the bar and uh, dropped off a few Broadway boxing tickets for us. You oh, know? cool! So it's like the, it really. That being around it, uh, and and also you know the Irish guys, they always whether it was John Duddy back in the day, there was all <laughs> yeah. there's always some big Irish fighter in New York that people want to see. Yeah. Um, so they, the two really did intertwine. Yeah, I knew that there had to be some mixture between McSorley's and boxing. It just you know they go hand in hand. But uh, I know your travels also brought you to the Philippines. I know you contribute. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I want to ask you how you got to the Philippines. I know you contribute a lot to, to basketball there. I know you're a big basketball fan. Immediately I thought of Manny Pacquiao shooting a jumper. Uh, you talk about your time in the Philippines and uh, what you learned over there. Sure. Well, I mean, the Philippines, man, I stumbled into it. I got really lucky uh, in a way that, I, you know, when I was in college, I, I stumbled into this this book that had a chapter on basketball in the Philippines. And I had no idea that the sport was, you know, the most, by far the most popular team sport in the country. Uh, the thing that, like, everybody does and, and plays and, and just breathes basketball at all times. Um, and it, it really fascinated me. I grew up, I mean, that's the sport I played. I, I haven't boxed. I don't, you know, I don't know this boxing from the inside like that um but uh so i went out there and 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 it ended up turning into a book about uh you know basketball in the philippines but the years that i lived in manila full time which were like 2005 to the end of 2008 uh that was really the the the, the first rise of uh of manny pacquiao i mean he really like i got to see him 
sort of blow up on the world level. I think I left right after he beat Oscar De La Hoya, which wow. was, you know, really the the, the, the the huge superstar making moment. But being there for the, you know, for the Morales fights, for uh, all those, you know, the, the, the first Barrera fight, all those, all those fights in between where he was fighting on HBO and he was just a superstar rising. I, I remember my first week in the country, I went to, I found the, the local basketball court in the neighborhood I was staying and I just wanted to shoot around, you know, work out, get some shots up. And I went there early in the morning and it was a Monday and it was right after, um, it was right after Manny had won a fight and the, the, the staff at the, you know, local like park there, you know, rung, sort of rung a bell and said, now everyone here, you know, stand and, and salute, uh, as we play the national anthem wow. in, you know, and, and thank Manny Pacquiao for his, for his victory yesterday. Uh, it was, it's really that level. Yeah. So what's it like, um, you know, you said you've seen, you were in the Philippines when Pacquiao fought, uh, you know, obviously from Las Vegas, what's it like being mm-hmm. in the Philippines as they air a Pacquiao fight? Do they shut down? It, it does. It is. So, you know, it's, it's uh, 12 hours ahead of the East Coast or 13, depending on daylight savings time. Uh, so so his fights are Sunday mornings over there. Um, and they it, they they it really is one of the only times in Manila, which is one of these, you know, super overcrowded cities, cities with like at this point, you know, probably about 20 million people live in there. You usually cannot go anywhere at any time without hitting traffic. When Manny fights, it's you could you know you could walk the streets and hear a pin drop. You can walk the streets and follow the fight just by listening to it coming out of people's you know windows, doors, everywhere. Wow. Um, it, it 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 is one of those things where you know sometimes I, I kind of I kind of would 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 roll my eyes at the at the stuff about oh there's never any crime in the Philippines when Manny fights because people are too busy watching the watching him watching him fight. Well, yeah, that's true, but it's also because probably people just like aren't reporting crime. That's <laughs> yeah, the best time uh, but, to do crime. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and, and, but, but still the, 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 the way the country does really shut down and people will, you know, that's it the whole day. And you watch it again, again and again throughout the day, you watch it live when it plays in the morning. And then like the local, the local broadcast channels will play it sort of three times. Like they have like, wow. you know, extra showing as the day goes on. And each time everyone is there around just watching. Wow. So I know that Manny has given us a lot of great material over the years, especially when he was like womanizing Manny, when he was Manny uh, shooting pool, you know, buttons open. We've all seen that one that one picture. But I want to talk about boxing Twitter because I think it's like it's like a cesspool at times. It's the strangest subculture in the world. Uh, and I want to ask you, who are some of like the pound for pound best like trolls out there? Well, when we say troll, I right. mean, are we talking right, right. about someone who is like actually uh, we consider a, a, a bad actor in the, no, in no, no, this, no, no, no. Uh, community, but just sort of the funniest, like most crazy out there. I can't believe yes. he did that guy. Right. Um, I mean, look, the, the all time, the champion, uh, there, there's only there really is one guy and that's James Bagg. Thank Jr. you. Uh, he's he, he started this. You know, he, he probably is more influential and, and he goes. I mean, honestly, he goes farther than, than I'm willing to go with a lot of jokes. Um, <laughs> true. But, um, man, the guy is so clever. And I don't know if you've ever got a chance to meet him, but, you know, he comes to fights in the New York era, area, and he, he's super he's super cool and, yeah. and normal and fun to hang out with. I mean, yeah. even when, you know, in real life, too. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, 
some of the the photoshops that he did, like the the run he had of the photoshops back in the day with uh, Jorge Linares, where he's like writing weird yeah. sex things on yeah. them to him and Chris Algieri. Oh man, uh, it he's is a pioneer. <laughs> he's a real pioneer. Yeah, exactly. And and then uh, I think the other the other uh, the other name that sticks out for me in in like sort of the boxing the funniest boxing twitter people is uh oh, i can't remember if the handle is dick hercules or yes. rat catcher yeah yeah but uh <laughs> rat catcher uh he is he he is hilarious we gotta like he, he is we gotta like go set up a like a, like a meet and greet or like I don't know if these guys would even want to do this, but we get them all in one room and we kind of like talk about like what they're what they do and how do they how do they come to it and their their favorite tweets and like who they've pissed off the most. Maybe like show us your list of blocked uh, fighters <laughs> and like Bag would have to be like Bag's like the ringleader. He would have to like start it all off. Yeah, and I mean Bag, he 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 basically turned you know Rick Glazer into a into a joke that only boxing fans understand. Glazed, like the you know like the pictures of Rick Glazer and the glazed and all that. I mean he 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 just yeah he has created more inside jokes for our community than than almost any one person. Yeah, and I know that Brian Campbell also appreciates the work of James Bag, and he's uh, your co-host of In This Corner. Uh, another podcast over on the CBS Network. Uh, Rafe, I appreciate you uh, joining us here on Inside Boxing Live. Before we let you go, tell us how you can uh, subscribe to the newsletter because I can't uh, recommend it anymore. Thank you, Dan. Uh, yes, it's uh, so it's called the Respect Box uh, newsletter, um, and you subscribe. Uh, I've got the link, the subscription link, uh, posted, uh, pinned at the top of my Twitter account. So Twitter is Rafe Boogs, R-E-F-E-B-O-O-G-S, uh, and uh, – you know, you just click on that link and fill out. I mean, it, it has like it has a you can you can fill out whatever you want really. You know, as long as the email works, uh, not much is required. So, um, and I get some good. Uh, I've gotten some good uh, trolling uh, fake names. I've gotten a few Larry Merchants and other people to to uh, to subscribe who I'm pretty sure are not the real Larry Merchant. Yeah, I don't know if Larry uh, but yeah, has. Just, uh, check out the Twitter page. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Larry has uh, internet access these days. I mean, good for him, man. He's probably more sane for it. Yeah, all right. Rafe, thank you for joining us. Uh, check out the newsletter. Uh, keep up the good work. Hopefully, we can uh, run into each other someday uh, ringside. Yeah, same here, Dan. Thank you so much. There it is. Rafe Bartholomew, one of the uh, more funnier follows on Twitter. And uh, really uh, thankful we have a writer like Rafe in the, the boxing world because he likes to bring the lighter side of the sport. He knows his boxing, too. Don't get me wrong. But he likes to bring up... You know, the funnier things of the absurdities of boxing, because there are plenty of them. So shout out to Rafe Bartholomew uh, for joining us here on Inside Boxing Live. Is there anything stranger than the boxing Twitter right now? It is, like I spoke about with uh, Rafe Bartholomew, uh, it is the the strangest subculture and the strangest things go on in the boxing Twitter. But uh, here on Inside Boxing Live, we roll out what we do every week here on the program. Uh, is Twitter hitters. These are the best tweets from the source, right from the fighters. And we'll start off with Showtime Sean Porter. Uh, we saw him uh, jump into the ring after the Danny Garcia fight. Uh, very unlike uh, Sean Porter. And uh, what he said was, this was the day after, thinking back on the events of the evening, Danny Swift talking about sparring me, street fighting me. I'm talking about fighting and making real money. What an emotional creature that DSG is. So he's trying to get into the mind of Danny Garcia. It's not going to work because we saw Danny Garcia sort of like respond to that. And he said, dude from Ohio, obviously Sean Porter from Ohio, this ain't your backyard, this is mine. And those are all pictures of Danny Garcia winning fights 
in Las Vegas because when we saw Sean Porter jump into the ring, he said, you know, this is my town. I'm Las Vegas. Danny Garcia is like, you're from Ohio. It was an interesting uh, mix up there. It was between uh, two fighters who many don't even think are the top in the welterweight division. And that, like, you know, they're, they're talking crap to each other. You know, that's when Errol Spence, who many regard as the best of all time, or the best of all time, but maybe when it's all said and done. But the best right now in the welterweight division, he just jumps on Twitter and just writes, these dudes are so lame. And you almost, like, after, he's probably sitting there laughing because, you know what, none of these guys are calling out Errol Spence. Did you notice that? Danny Garcia after the fight. Did he say, I want Errol Spence? No. Sean Porter, I know he's he's ranked in the IBF, and he technically can't fight Errol Spence. Not even calling him out or not even saying, I'd like to fight Errol Spence. Keith Thurman, we all know Keith Thurman, you know, he's got his elbow injury. He's not going to be fighting Errol Spence anytime soon. So it's funny to see how this is all playing out. It's playing out, uh, you know, with Al Heyman and, and Steven Espinosa. It's playing out in the ring, and it's also playing out on Twitter uh, right before our very eyes. Uh, moving forward here on uh, Twitter haters, a fighter that, you know, doesn't really have to call out too many fighters because we know he wants to fight the best. That's High Tech Lomachenko, one of the better follows on Twitter. He tweets, uh, this was on uh, February 17th, really wanted the Jorge Linares fight. Too bad Golden Boy Boxing uh, won't let it happen. Uh, if you haven't caught up with that, you know, Lomachenko is supposed to be fighting Linares on May 12th. They're having a dispute. You know, Golden Boy wants the fight to happen on HBO because they have a, a very good relationship with HBO, uh, obviously Aram wants Lomachenko to fight on ESPN because he is their, uh, you know, their top draw when they brought top rank to, to ESPN. Politics. The politics of boxing are rearing their ugly head here. We might not see Lomachenko Linares because of a network dispute. My guess, and this is completely just my, my guess here, is Lomachenko is going to fight Beltran. And it's going to be on uh, ESPN. I mean, it's just it's just a logical move here. I'm uh, moving forward here on uh, Twitter haters. This is an interesting one. Uh, we know we had Dave Portnoy on the the last Inside Boxing Live, a uh, barstool president. He had their rough and rowdy too over in Morgantown, West Virginia. Main event was actually pretty entertaining. The whole card uh, was entertaining. You had the ring girls. You had you know these crazy fights, fighters in in, in work boots, and we decided we were going to run the stats for the uh, the main event: Smitty versus Twenty Dollar Chef. It was one of the more uglier fights I've ever watched in my time here uh, working for CompuBox. But uh, Smitty had the edge. He was a little more accurate, threw more punches, landed more punches. It was tough to count these punches because a lot of times they were just simply putting the glove on the other guy's face as either they were resting or they were throwing extremely light punches. But uh, it was fun to have fun with that. And uh, Portnoy uh, retweeted it, got a lot of uh, play there on uh, uh, social media. Uh, what do we got here next, Nick? We got, uh, put it up on the screen. There it is. Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, after his fight. And <laughs> he tweets, it was a hell of a fight. I'll be back in the ring ASAP. Congratulations to Groves. Hashtag next gen. Uh, a lot of people responded saying, you know, great fight. You give us entertainment. You know, even though he was outclassed in the ring, we all saw Eubank. He was swinging for the fences. It was a lot like rough and rowdy. Uh, Chris Eubank style. But that's when Billy Joe Saunders, the ultimate troll, the ultimate... Funny man, been here on Inside Boxing Live, responded to Eubank and said, I need a man to clean my ball strap. I have a job for you, pal. <laughs> BJ Saunders is never, like, when a man is down, he kicks him when he's down. He steps on the throat. So funny stuff from uh, BJ Saunders. And finally, Twitter hitters got to end it on a high note. Got to end it on, uh, on, with the heavyweights, Mike Tyson. I think he, he, 
You cut out the bottom of it, but I'll read it. TMZ originally tweeted, Mike Tyson says Deontay Wilder could beat me. I don't think so. So then uh, Tyson wanted to clarify and say, I don't think Wilder would have beat me in my prime. I've said it before, and I'm saying it again. Listen to my podcast to hear all about it, of course, because he has that podcast with Peter Rosenberg. Uh, I think it's called like Bite the Mic or something. But I don't know why I'm promoting other people's podcasts on the show. But um, this has been like a thing that we're talking about. Luda Bell brought it up. He said that you know he likes the fact that Wilder thinks he can beat Mike Tyson. It puts his name in the headlines, and Mike Tyson, you know, had to respond and says no. I would love to have seen Mike Tyson versus uh, Deontay Wilder just from the height and the, the, the buildup uh, would be tremendous. But that's it uh, for Twitter haters. Uh, of course, if you see anything funny on the Internet, which is pretty much what the Internet was invented for, send us the tweets. Send us them at CompuBox using the hashtag Twitter haters, and we'll be sure to have you featured here on Inside Boxing Live. All guests on Inside Boxing Live appear via the Jack Doyle's phone line located just one block away from Penn Station in Madison Square Garden. Jack Doyle's is the perfect place to get a drink before, during, or after any big fight or game. With that, we're going to bring in our next guest on Inside Boxing Live. He's the one and only Lou DiBella. Lou, how are you uh, this afternoon? I wish I was at Jack Doyle's right now. I could use a drink. (laughs) Jack Doyle's is a great place. Uh, Yes, they have great drink specials. Uh, Proud sponsor. Of uh, inside boxing live, busy week for you. Uh, you got your heavyweight is in action. Uh, Deontay Wilder. Many people are saying it's uh, one of the most important, the biggest fights in the uh, U.S. in recent years. Uh, tell us why this is a dangerous fight for Deontay. Uh, do I have to tell you why it's a dangerous fight? I know why. Uh, to be honest, I don't even know why he wanted it so bad. Uh, because believe me, no one made him do it. Um, you know, I, I actually, I do know why he wanted it so bad. And he wanted it so bad because he believes he's the best and he wants to prove that he's the best. And he feels that he's taken a lot of undue um, shots and criticism. So he's fighting the boogeyman. But when you have a couple hundred million dollar fight out there in the future against St. Anthony Joshua, um, would, would most guys take on uh, a, a guy like Ortiz? who has the baggage Ortiz has. And I, when I say that baggage, I'm not criticizing Ortiz. I'm just saying I don't think anyone was pressuring Deontay into doing this fight. So if Deontay, in other words, after everything that happened with Ortiz, Deontay did not have to fight Ortiz. Why is he fighting him? He's fighting him because he is like the boogeyman. Why is he the boogeyman? He won over 300 amateur fights, losing like like a couple of handful. He's uh, a big strong, skilled Cuban with with a lot of tricks and very unorthodox in a lot of ways and slick. And 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 he's got a giant left hand. He's the power punching lefty with the ability to knock somebody out with one shot left handed. Now in my mind, that's a fucking promoter's nightmare. Yeah. It is, and, and you know, Deontay Wilder, and he saw his last fight at Stavern, took him out in, in one round. It was vicious. It was borderline assault. And uh, from that fight, you can kind of see that the lead-up to that, Wilder was pissed off more than usual. He, he has, a, like, a certain edge to him, and do you think that he's now taking that edge and he's now bringing it into the ring with him? I, I, look, the edge worries me. I mean, look, De- Deontay's a professional, but Deontay's been through a lot, man, in recent years. And and, and, and he's been through a lot with opponents changing. And, and strangely, you know, this is a weird 
country now when it comes to boxing. We don't support our own champions adequately. You know, there there is like a large contingent of nerds who like want, you know want to prove their knowledge of boxing by finding the most obscure tiny fighters from faraway places to talk about. Yeah. Um, and you, you've got a heavyweight champion with almost unmatched, historically unmatched punching power, kind of Mike Tyson punching power, uh, that's been willing to fight you know, anybody who's done the right things and just does that circumstance work against them. And you got a lot of douchebags that don't give him the credit that he deserves. So he's probably got a little bit of chip on his shoulder. It's what people ask me when he made that comment about beating Mike Tyson, like if I thought it was disrespectful and all this other stuff. And, and I really didn't, to tell you the truth. What I thought it was is a, a guy who, look, the heavyweight champion is supposed to believe he's the baddest guy on the planet, particularly a heavyweight champion who's knocked out every single guy he's ever fought. That heavyweight champion is supposed to believe he's the baddest guy on the planet. And... And I think that, that that interview and a lot of other stuff that Deontay said and, and some of the swagger he's showing right now, it, it's him, I think, um, jacking himself up. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. if, if he's not going to believe in himself right, right now, uh, there are a lot of people out there that are standing online to, to, to you know, scream his, his, uh, his, you know, the high heaven that he's the best. He's got he's to he's gotta believe he's the best. He's got to go out there and show he's the best. And on Saturday night, uh, this coming Saturday night, March 3rd at the Barclay Center, um, and, and there are good tickets still available. A lot of the reasonably priced upstairs tickets are available. Uh, if you want, like, the really good seats, you should jump on it right now, early this week before they're gone. But, you know, there, there, there will be a lot of seats upstairs, and uh, you know, for people to want to come into the arena. And it's cheap. You can go see it. It's a sensational heavyweight fight for less than you have to pay to watch a pay-per-view. Um, and, and I think people should take that opportunity because there's nothing like a great heavyweight fight, and this is a great heavyweight fight. Um, look, Ortiz has nothing to fucking lose, nothing to lose. That makes him an extremely – put that with all his credentials and that big left hand, and that makes him a very dangerous man. Yeah. Uh... I mean, he should be – he should be kissing the ground like the Pope does when he gets off a friggin' airplane. But he's getting this fight on Saturday night after the history he's had. So when Wilder did Wilder come to you and say, "I want Ortiz again," and you were like, "Why?" Um, they didn't come to me and say it was pretty much understood in this camp. Um, I, 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 you know, he's he makes his he, he's the boss. He makes his, his own decisions, and and he's the champ. Um, you know, I, I think people know that this isn't one that I was in love with. Um, because I don't think that there was, you know, the, the world like the, the world was screamed. But you know what? This is what makes a champion a champion. You know, mm-hmm. what makes a champion a champion? A, a real, he, this is exactly why people should give this guy props instead of uh, instead of critics. You know, coming out with their with their weak criticisms. I mean, like how many guys are, are out there taking on Luis Ortiz without a mandatory, without having to, because he's the toughest guy out there. I mean, I mean, honestly, Joshua's, you know, about to unify is nowhere as dangerous as Deontay's defense. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're saying Parker? You think that Ortiz is a little more dangerous than uh, Parker? Well, Parker can't really punch. Right. Start with that. I mean, you know, I, I don't think he's a bad fighter. I'm not disrespecting him, but I mean. Uh, a, a, a guy with the, the amateur background of Ortiz, the size of Ortiz, and the punching power of Ortiz from his left hand. Right. That's uh, 
you know, that, that's a bit of a nightmare. Lou, what do you make of uh, Eddie Hearn? Uh, you guys don't have a, a checkered pass, but what do you make of Eddie Hearn uh, saying he wants Joshua to fight Miller at Barclays in August? I don't give a shit. Let him do what he wants. Well, do you think that Joshua should come to the U.S. at some point? I don't give a shit. Okay. I mean, I really don't. I mean, should he come to the U.S.? Yeah, look, look it's, it's economic analysis that Eddie, I'm sure, could do very, very well. Eddie's been around shitloads of money since, since he was in the womb. You know, he's, he, he's, you know, yeah. he comes from a very different, I come from Brooklyn, and he comes from, a, you know, the backseat of a Bentley. Um, but, 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 but that, that being said, if Eddie, Eddie you know, if, if there's 80,000 people that have pretty much proven that they'll watch right. Joshua in Great Britain fight Bozo the Clown. So, it's, so, yeah. so that being said, like, does, should, does he have to come here to fight Jerome Miller? I don't know. They could do what they want. It's their, their business, their economic analysis and god bless eddie uh, i'm still waiting for that u.s takeover <laughs> yeah so i'm trying to figure out why he would want uh, joshua and it makes me think that joshua in, in in brooklyn would maybe you know whet the appetites of uh, u.s consumers and uh, ultimately give us a wilder fight so i thought maybe you'd be a little more interested in that no i mean look if, if jo look if, if joshua came over to to new york and wanted to fight a new york guy in new york um it's certainly not going to help. Not going to hurt um, his 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 uh, you know his his building and a brand and, and an image uh, elsewhere outside of the UK. Right. I mean, if he came to the U fighting in the US is certainly you know there are things there's something to be said for it. Um, you know, so again, I don't promote Anthony Joshua. And if if Eddie thinks it makes sense, if Eddie thinks it makes dollars and cents, then he'll fight over here. And and, and if he does. You know, God bless him. It's not going to hurt. Right now, I'm worried. Here's what I got, I'm got. i thinking about right now. I'm thinking that this coming Saturday night, Deontay is going to fight the toughest fight he's ever fought in his life. And that, and that you know, I want as many people as possible to be there because I do think he's going to prove on Saturday night that he's the man in the heavyweight division. And I'm not looking past that. I'm not worried about Anthony Joshua. In the future, I'm not worried about. I don't care about Joshua and Parker. I care about this coming Saturday night, and what happens when two guys who are capable of knocking each other out get in the ring, and um, and, and and I really believe this is the opportunity Deontay's wanted so badly to to place his imprint on, on this heavyweight division. Yeah, you got to give Wilder props. He he takes on these fights. He wanted Pavekin. He wanted Ortiz the first time. He, he's called out Joshua uh, every chance he's gotten. So you got to give uh, Joshua the, the credit here. I'm on board with you uh, when it comes to that. Okay, another fighter that you do uh, have promotional ties with, that's Regis Progeis. I know you're very high on Regis. I am as well. I saw him fight at Turning Stone in, in his last fight, put on an outstanding performance. I follow him on social media. I think the kid's going to be an absolute star in the making. Uh, he's facing Julius and Don. Well, first of all, he's got a tremendous like backstory. You right. know, he's a real New Orleans guy. He he lived through Katrina. He was displaced by Katrina. Moved to Houston. He's a family man. He's married a Brazilian woman, and and um, very well read kid. Incredibly smart guy. Very uh, into the community in New Orleans. Wants to give back to the community. He's got a big personality. He's got an unbelievable amount of, of self confidence and swagger. He's a great post fight interview. Um, and, and he's got tremendous like athletic ability and punching power. 
You know, he does things that sometimes make you crazy because he can put he can he can do things from angles and keep his hands down and reminds me of some things that Sergio Martinez used to be able to do. Right. He's got you know he's got like some you know he appears to have like ability that's like a little bit transcendent. But I got to tell you, man, it, it's a big step up going from you know showbox fights to Julius Ndongo. I mean, Julius Ndongo is a former um, a former unified. Uh, champion and and Regis has to fight Indongo on March 9th on on Friday night March 9th that's at the uh, the uh, Deadwood Grand Casino and Resort in Deadwood legendary Deadwood South Dakota Have you ever been to South Dakota Lou? I have been to South Dakota before but I've never been to this area and Deadwood's like a really you know it's uh, that that series Deadwood was based on the area it's about the gunslingers Wired Earp and Wild Bill Hillcock and Calamity Jane were from Deadwood. Um, it's right near Mount Rushmore, which is one of obviously you know America's biggest landmarks, yeah. and uh, it's near Sturgis, South Dakota, where they have the big biker rallies and is the big motorcycle capital. Um, it, it's a cool area. Um, Deadwood's like an old western town. Um, so I'm, I mean, it, it really is an interesting backdrop. But I'll tell you what, you got the right gunslingers in the main event <laughs> to fight in the gunslinger town because. Um, with, with Ndongo and, and, and Progray, it's hard to imagine the fight going the distance. Are you going to be rocking the uh, the cowboy hat like Floyd was courtside? Um, I, you know, let me tell you, man. Bull battalions don't look so great in cowboy hats. <laughs> you stick with the Kangles, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with the Kangle. Probably turn backwards. That's a good look. Dion, you know, I, I, I'm old school, so I'll do it like Dion style. You know? Yeah, backwards Kangle. That's like been your trademark over the years. Yeah, yeah, sort of. It's been one of them. What, uh, before we let you go, the, cur- the current climate of boxing, I want to get Lou DeBell's thoughts on uh, what do you make? 2017 was a great year. 2018 is shaping up to be another great one. We saw the Showtime. I don't think 2017 was a great year. Really? Why not? a lot of good fights. It was a good year. I mean, a great year means we turn around the, the, the whole paradigm of the, of the business. Uh, a, a great year is that, is that you know, um, Networks are so happy with boxing that they're paying for it instead of going the you know the other way around. Yeah, I'm looking at it, it as a, from a fan standpoint. 2017. Well, I, I, I'm not being a downer. 2017 was a much better year than 2016. The fights were better. Everything was more you know there was more competitive. There was more excitement. Um, but boxing still has a long way to go to to appeal to. We need to continue. Stephen Espinosa talked about how. We do appeal to more of the younger generation that people give us credit for, which I don't disagree with. But we have to do more to appeal to those people. We have to get rid of so many of those shitty decisions. And we have to, we have, to have better judges. And we have to present the fight, the fight maybe in a way that's a little bit more 21st century than we've been doing. Um, I, it wasn't a bad year, 217. And I think two, 218 um, you know, shapes up that I think there'll be a lot of really high-quality fights this year there already have been there have been some great fights already you have a great a great heavyweight championship fight coming this coming saturday night march 3rd at the barclay center there's a lot of other good stuff in the pipeline um but but people shouldn't you know because the hardcore boxing fan of which there are fewer than they've ever been because the hardcore boxing fan can identify good matchups and see and and see uh a lot of free boxing doesn't mean the state of the industry is what it needs to be.
Lou DiBella always bringing the heat here on Inside Boxing Live. Go out, take care of your dog. I heard him barking in the background. Yeah, he's barking in the background. Tell people, come out to the Barclays Center Saturday night. You can seriously, like, there's not a bad seat in the house, even if you're going to sit in, like, the upper tiers or the, you know, you, you can get seats for less than paying for a pay-per-view. Be there, see the heavyweight championship of the world. I'm nervous. Why am I nervous? It's a great fight. Do I think my guy's going to win? Yes. Deontay's going to knock out Luis Ortiz. But believe me, there's a lot of danger in that ring at Barclays Center on Saturday night. It should be fire. Thank you, Lou. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. The one and only Lou DiBella. All you got to do is just twist his back a little bit, rev him up, and he'll just go. It is great. Because, Lou, the great thing about interviewing Lou is, like, you have your mindset of what you want to ask him, but he'll answer, like, four or five questions <laughs> that you wanted to ask him in one, you know, in his one answer. So you got to always be on your toes, and he's ready. He's he's a big supporter of Deontay Wilder. I'm a big supporter of Deontay Wilder. I think he gets uh, a little undersold here in the U.S., so hopefully he comes out uh, with a good performance. We see a great fight uh, on Saturday night, and we hear more about uh, this uh the heavyweight division in uh, 2018. So a special thanks to Lou DiBella for taking uh, this interview on short notice here on Inside Boxing Live. I'm going to move forward uh, with the program. All right, that's another episode of Inside Boxing Live in the book. Special thanks to all of our guests, Stephen Espinosa, Lou DiBella, and Rafe Bartholomew. A great job from our staff, as always, super producer Nick and executive producer, the big Bob Kahuna. Uh, special thanks to our, uh, our sponsor, uh, Jack Doyles. Don't forget, you can always check us out on iTunes, leave us a review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We'll see you next week from Inside Boxing Live.